Today on Defending the Edge, ransomware has become more advanced. We see some troubling cyber threat trends in the wake of COVID-19. I sit down for an interview with our partners at With Secure to talk about Black Basta, and we have a director's roundtable with our CEO. But before we do that, we've been off the air for a break as well as putting together a bunch of other products, and I need to give you a quick recap of what we've missed in the last six weeks. And what better way to do that than in the tradition of the piano man himself, Billy Joel. Google Chrome, zero days, Robcat rent with Cubans pay, Yam the Wang, Cisco hat, Lucky Mouse, it's Mimi Chat, GitHub, Dependent Bot, Counterfeit, WhatsApp, TikTok, Telegram, Instagram, Scam. Lazarus, job seekers, Google Cloud, DDoS, Twitter, man, sell Saudi secrets, Apple fixes, zero days, ring cameras, record a super sneaky winty group, ransomware, Dr. Tila, Metasploit, and Cobalt Strike. We're back in reporting cyber, we've been fighting hackers, even right faster. We're back in reporting cyber. No, we didn't start it, but the fight goes on and on. Evil Corp, ransomware, Twilio and Cloudflare, Hackers, Breeze, LastPass, Phishing, Python, Index, Nitro Card, Crypto Miner, Minerate, Botnet, Moobot, Borat, Trojan, DDoS, Conti, Bounty, Albatross, Ditchin' Game, Ransomware, Tesla, Stolen, Unaware, Bonte, Using Conti, Tricks, Google, Chrome, Another Fix, U-Haul, Data, Breach, Chrome, Zero, Day, Part 3, Chrome and Netflix, Cookie, Stuffing, Lawrence, Hackers, on. Not bluffing. We're back in reporting cyber. We've been fighting hackers, even black faster. We're back in reporting cyber. No, we didn't start it, but the fight goes on and on. I apologize for nothing. I'm Calvin Bryant, and this is your Thursday, 29 September edition of Defending the Edge. Well, you'll uh, you'll be happy to know I never never plan to do that again. Maybe maybe until next year, or something. But uh, more interestingly, if you subscribe to our Cyber Threat Intelligence feeds, you would have gotten all of those headlines or those snippet updates during the uh, during the show gap. I uh, shamelessly pulled all of those off uh, all those key headlines from our weekly Cyber Advisory, which is an executive summary that we put out each week. Uh, so in between shows, just know that nothing is lost. Now, over the past few months, or I suppose over the course of the last year or so, we've been seeing more and more cases of malicious services being sold. Uh, I'm talking about various forms of malicious software as a service or command and control services that, uh, you know, you can, well, you can do whatever you want or you need to with. Now, breaking over the past week, Quantum Builder is a malicious software builder that's available for purchase on the dark web for about 189 euros a month. Now, if that already strikes you as off, or if you weren't sure you heard me correctly, yes, that's a monthly subscription fee on the dark web. Quantum Builder is a customizable tool that allows the end user to generate various malicious file shortcuts and PowerShell payloads. Now, these are then used, uh, these are used for what's known as a next stage malware. Other terms you may be familiar with are droppers, for example. A, a dropper is a malicious file whose job is to inconspicuously get onto the targeted device and then download or embed a code or a script that's going to then download some follow-on malware. 
Now, in this case, quantum builder is being used to deposit Agent Tesla. If you're wondering if this malware maker as a service, a subscription service, no less, is some kind of a one-off, unfortunately, no. This summer, we also saw the rise of, of a command and control software, and this one is known as Dark Utilities. Dark Utilities offers a... Uh, what amounts to a GUI and a server host for command and control knows that you can do everything from launching crypto mining to mass scale botnet accounts. Uh, it's scalable and it's subscription based as well. Now, this one operates on the clear web. It's done, uh, it's authenticated via Discord. The user pays and then they authenticate their account via Discord and the vendor sets up their service instance and they're ready to go. Now, this is all interesting, but also concerning. Um, we did just have a roundtable discussion, as I mentioned in the show intro, and you'll get to hear that later on in the show. Uh, but one thing we discuss is the many forms of cybercrime that are becoming business models. Ransomware has been a business model for a while, uh, you know, extortion, etc. cetera. Uh, and now we're seeing this barrier to entry for cybercriminals drop rather precipitously as threat actors make tools and services available to persons who otherwise might be less skilled or they don't have the capability of creating their own malware. Uh, maybe before there was some barrier to entry, such as resources that they didn't have that they would need. Uh, but now they're able to launch and manage much larger scale complex attacks. And so here we are. And with that bit of good news, let's get to our headlines. All right. So our top headline, which has... Uh, no business being a top headline other than I found it amusing. There was a bot that managed to make about a million dollars in crypto assets and uh, subsequently lost it immediately to a hacker. Uh, so a MEV bot, M-E-V, or a maximal extractable value bot was doing some trading and it managed to earn about 800 Ether, which is roughly a million dollars in UN's currency equivalent, uh, immediately after a hacker exploited some form of bad code on the bot and convinced the bot to authorize a transaction, draining its balance for around uh, 1100 Ether. All total, the bot lost about $1.45 million. Um, and that's really, that's really it. That's, that's about it. Um, that's the story. Someone made a bot to do uh, what amounts to crypto day trading, I guess. And uh, thanks to the ever-present human error, another person was able to trick it into selling it all off and funneling it over to them. Um, so this is fun for people like me who are still crypto skeptical in some ways or another, uh, specifically the part where $1.45 million is allegedly now lost, but nobody can actually explain to me what that value is based on, of, of course, other than the people agreeing it. So um, this could be an entire tangent on the dollar or any other currency not backed by anything of value, but we won't do that. Uh, but at least the sinking US dollar and euro has some tether to a longstanding agreement on value. It's not a, an invisible token that's being traded for pictures of a monkey with a monocle or something. All right, so uh, let's move on to some real headlines. Um, one of my favorite hacker groups, Fancy Bear, the Russian threat group um, with one of the poshest names out there, uh, well, they're up to no good again. The Russian state-sponsored APT28 is using PowerPoint to exploit and infect some systems with malware. Uh, so Fancy Bear is using PowerPoint to trigger a malicious PowerShell script. Uh, they're using the PowerPoint file a bit of a uh, sort of as like a, a lure. Um, they've got it linked to uh, the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development, the OECD. So they're luring people in with the promise that they're going to read some information on uh, OE, uh, OECD. 
Uh, once they open it up, the PowerPoint has a hyperlink, uh, which triggers a PowerShell script, which subsequently delish, uh, de deploys some malicious macros. Now, what's really concerning about this attack is that it only requires the victim to mouse over the hyperlink and it activates the PowerShell script. So you, in presenter mode or whatever the case is, the victim uh, mouses over and it activates the script. The script then downloads a JPEG file from a Ma uh, Microsoft OneDrive account, uh, and that JPEG is holding an encrypted DLL file. And as we've talked about before, as usual, the malicious DLL file is then used, uh, drops into the directory, and it enables, a, it, excuse me, it enables a persistent backdoor. It's very, uh, very tricky. It's extremely tricky. Uh, the primary mitigation for this one, of course, is not accepting any file type from an unknown or untrusted source. Uh, we've talked about PowerPoint, Word, Adobe, and some other programs uh, many times as initial attack vectors, and they continue to be just that. All right, so speaking of persistence on a device and also... Uh, Back to our crypto headline, uh, there's some pretty sneaky Trojans out there that can, for the most part, uh, evade endpoint detection response, as well as standard antivirus by being very careful uh, in blending into and appearing like normal files. Now, most antivirus do not detect these, uh, and they're especially if they're uh, very basic and definition-based in their detection. Uh, and they also fail to track what these activities are doing on your device. Instead, only the advanced uh, endpoint detection response, EDR programs like WithSecure, uh, th those kind of software programs are using artificial intelligence and machine learning, uh, using heuristics and anomaly-based detection. They're able to find the activity that's happening, whatever the corresponding activity is, and then it's allowing us to track down the malicious file that's otherwise very well hidden on the device, uh, sort of like a detective following a breadcrumbs back to the source. Uh, and on that topic, I sat down with cyber threat intelligence analyst Orion Johansson uh, to talk about a simple yet critical investigation that he was helming on tracking down one such malware on a device that we monitored. So let's take a listen to that. Basically, what had happened is one of the DefendEdge partners with Secure, they have an endpoint detection response system that had been picking up some weird PowerShell commands coming from a computer that upon further investigation uh, was identified correctly. But at the point in time, we were not fairly certain about what was exactly going on. And so after doing some digging and investigating and some back and forth with our WizSecure partner, what ended up happening is uh, we found two Trojans that were basically nestled into the computer that we weren't able to identify at first based on the security profile set up with the computer. And so coming on from there, those those Trojans ended up being uh, crypto miners slash uh, some sort of spyware called Bloom. And um, the other one off the top of my head, I'm kind of lost. I can't remember the name, but essentially the, the remedy, long story short, was we had to do a complete wipe of the computer. But uh, from start to finish. So uh, this happened a few months prior to the computer actually having WizSecure installed, but the, the user of that computer decided that they wanted to watch a movie, but um, instead of paying for the movie, they went to an unknown site and they had downloaded the movie illegally. And the the result of that was, was these two Trojans that were placed on the computer. I was able to use my intelligence background to, to help me with researching it and also in conjunction with WizSecure, uh, we were able to identify and then delete as much as we could on 
our side without trying to do a complete wipe of the computer, which ended up not working because of how elusive the, the, the malware ended up being. So we just ended up having to do a, a complete wipe of the computer. Yeah, so just, just some kind of points on that. Um, it kind of shows what happens if you don't have endpoint security on your computer that can detect something right off the bat. Um, so one of our concerns was that this could move laterally in the network. And I think that concern was uh, you know, well-founded. So as soon as this was detected, once the computer was uh, installed with WitSecure and brought on the network, you know, it, it put up the alert. We isolated that device. Um, and, and those concerns are well-founded specifically for the one that was the crypto miner, because it seems like it replicates itself, uh, which is how it ended up with PowerShell uh, scripts being run in multiple places. Uh, and I think, um, correct me if I'm wrong, your, your research into this showed that um, other computers that had been in infected uh, for other people, you know, across the world. Um, this was th this specific script was showing up in everything from uh, weather apps that were on, like legitimate weather apps on the desktop, to you know, files all across the computer. So it could embed itself all over the place. Correct, and we had tried different remedies, like I said before, to to, to isolate and identify the file on the computer, and we did find some, but it was seemed to be a very what would you say? It was like a, a constantly evolving piece of malware. So it was even very elusive to a person looking for the files on the computer as it, as it constantly renamed itself. And the PowerShell commands that it was running uh, probably wouldn't be caught by a normal antivirus software because of the way it's obscurated and the types of characters that are being input in the PowerShell command are specifically designed to evade most endpoint detection and response. But with right. was able to identify it based on its behavioral pattern. Right, absolutely. That's one of the key things on WithSecure. So anybody listening to this is probably going, okay, well, you know, why do we want WithSecure then if it couldn't remove this? Well, there's a couple key takeaways here. Um, a standard antivirus probably won't find this. Um, it may or may not have found the original file. Um, upon our investigation on this, you had found that the original um, um, threat vector came in through a zip file and zip files depending on configuration on a computer and whatever the parameters are set up to allow for scans um, they can't be deleted on a lot of computers um, so even with secure was able to say this is malicious but it needed it, it needs the manual permission to actually remove that file but by the time you had done that um, it had already it had already moved across the network and so to your point the only reason with secure found this um, because it was so elusive is because of the machine learning and AI that WithSecure has right. um, that other antivirus doesn't have. So uh, this really shows that, you know, between SOC and cyber threat intelligence, you know, whatever the agency is, um, our, our automated processes still require that, that human insight. And unfortunately this just ended up being a case where you would have had to have somebody on the ground going line by line through the computer. And so it was, it was just so infected that it was just better to wipe it. Right. And, and we haven't had any problems since no, no endpoint detection response alerts have come our way here at defend edge. So it seems like the, the nuclear option was the only option, unfortunately. Uh, next up, a flashback to Conti Ransomware Group. The FBI has offered $10 million uh, reward. I think it's the total bounty. Uh, this is 
reward money to identify remaining group members, their new brand affiliates, etc., uh, for the now defunct Conti Group. Now, if you listen to our episode months ago, we bid them a fond farewell, of course, and we speculated that there were two main options for the fallout. There could be a rebrand and uh, the various cells that would uh, would previously known as Conti would fall together under the umbrella of a new brand, or they could you know, basically go their separate way as individual groups that operate largely or entirely independently of one another. Now, we seem to have an answer, at least for now, that Conti splintering has created distinct new groups. And one of the groups we've discussed before, you may have seen them in the news otherwise, is Black Basta. Black Basta is interesting to us for a few reasons. Uh, one, our partners over at With Secure identified and profiled them rather successfully. Uh, we have an interview on that, which we'll get to in a minute. Uh, but also, our internal collections and intelligence research all but pegged them on an attack prior to them being formally identified uh, in that attack. There was a breach a few months ago on the company SHI International. Uh, we uh, we were asked by a client to review the information and produce a report uh, to help them safeguard their network uh, based on the facts and circumstances of the SHI brief, uh, breach. Now, uh, our team researched, uh, did their analysis of it, and we we narrowed it down to a very select list of threat profiles. Now, at the time, there was very limited information on Black Basta. They had uh, they had only uh, really been mentioned a handful of times. There wasn't really anything to go off of. Um, yet, interestingly enough, after we completed their profile in the in the following weeks, uh, we actually were able to retroactively profile that attack, and lo and behold, uh, Black Basta was our top profile for attribution. So it's personally interesting to me uh, just because of how close we were to that direct attribution, uh, even uh, in in spite of very limited data at the time, as well as how accurate our team's profiling uh, is, uh, you know, after they were able to get some additional information. Now, threat intelligence is always a bit of cat and mouse. And we've discussed on the show many times that from one day to the next, there's a a question of who is staying out ahead. Now, generally, the threat actors, they, they almost always have the advantage, particularly if they're starting off new or unknown. Uh, it's a case where until the mask is off, nobody knows what to be looking for. So uh, with that said, with Secure Private uh, provided a good interview to me about Black Basta, so we can take a listen to that. But first, if you are a current DefendEdge client and want to ensure your cybersecurity posture is meeting our best practices, contact your designated DefendEdge specialist or point of contact today. If you are not a current client, head over to our website at www.defendedge.com. That's www.defendedge.com to find out how we can help you defend against the multitude of evolving threats. The cyber threats and bad actors are not waiting, and neither should you. Tim and Tommy, welcome to the show. Thanks, Thank Kevin. you. Yeah, and uh, can we start off, let's get our listeners a little bit of info about yourselves. Tim, can you start us off? Tell us about yourself, what you do. Sure, thanks. Uh, so my name is uh, Tim Roberts, and I'm a sales engineer with a company called With Secure, uh, basically specializing in endpoint security and cybersecurity kind of as a whole. Um, been with the company now seven years. Prior to that, I worked for uh, an MSSP, or uh, actually it was an MSP first, and then it evolved into an MSSP. But uh, the better part of my career kind of working in as IT, and then uh, over the last, I don't know, 15 years or so, became more uh, centralized around security. So that's been uh, been my adventure as of late. 
Okay. Yeah. So it's very similar to a lot of people's career in IT starting, <laughs> or rather cybersecurity, starting off on the IT side and then venturing into the securing everything. Okay. And Tommy, what about you? Yeah, thanks. Uh, so I'm Tommy Vorio, the channel manager for WitSecure North America. Been with the company uh, closing in on three years now. And I originally had uh, joined from our headquarters in Helsinki, Finland, and found my way uh, back stateside to New York, where uh, I've taken on this new role, uh, working with some of our uh, resellers and, and premier partners, such as DefendEdge. So a little shout out there. But uh, yeah, thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks for the shout out. We're glad to have you guys. We've been trying to get you guys on the show uh, for a little while now. I know there's a lot, lot going on between us and you as partners. So, um, so we're kind of we're here today to talk about Blackfast and ransomware. But before we do that, uh, can you guys tell us a little bit about with Secure as a company, what they do, and specifically about the EDR platform? Yeah, most stuff I can maybe tee us off, and and then Tim can cover any pieces. Uh, but yeah, with Secure, we've we've been in cybersecurity for quite some time. Uh, originally founded as Data Fellows back in 1988, and uh, then most listeners might remember us as F Secure Business. Um, actually, this year we've uh, split our brands between uh, F Secure, which keeps the the same brand and logo. Uh, that's now our, our consumer uh, security products, so home antivirus and the like. Uh, but we've always kind of been at the the forefront of um, you know endpoint security technology. Uh, we do work across four business divisions, and um, you know our, our F secure or sorry now with secure uh, elements platform is um, our, our suite of products uh, geared towards. Uh, B2B um, security solutions. Uh, and, and that's where we house our with secure elements portfolio, um, which does cover everything from endpoint protection, detection response, vulnerability management, as well as collaboration protection for Microsoft 365. Uh, and, and you know, when it comes to uh, cyber threats, we're, we're well beyond kind of the traditional uh, antivirus perspective. Uh, you know, threats are evolving rapidly. We, we see advanced attacks that can bypass those traditional kind of binary, um, you know, is this malicious, yes or no, um, kind of controls. So the the need to to move towards behavior analysis and those sorts of things uh, has become kind of paramount. And uh, with that, you know, I'll tee uh, Tim off to, to talk a little bit about Elements and, and Black Basta. Yeah. Perfect. Cool. Thanks, Tommy. So... Um, yeah, the, the, the topic or kind of the study, uh, I did a, uh, threat investigation, um, on black Basta uh, as a result of a breach that occurred with an organization that had 46, 46 computers and one server. Uh, unfortunately this organization was compromised in a matter of 26 minutes, um, from end to end, that is from the uh, initiated attack all the way to a point where there were ransom messages displayed in a notepad, uh, essentially a text file for those users. Um, now what, what we found is that, uh, back in mid April, uh, we found these guys uh, essentially operating and what it looks basically the researchers are finding is that these guys look like former members of an organization called Conti and are evil. So they uh, were a ransomware organization operating vastly out of Russia. Now, just, just because they're operating out of Russia doesn't mean that they're, uh, they, have a, they do have a global effect. Um, interesting, interesting points about this particular attack is that the, the attack actually has to be initiated with administrative privileges. Uh, otherwise, the, the ransomware is harmless. 
And what that means is the attackers actually have to obtain uh, credentials or administrative privileges within the organization. And so, so that could happen, you know, two ways. You could, you could either obtain those credentials from the dark web, right? As a threat actor, that's where a lot of these bad guys will exchange their information about organizations, whether they're credentials or passwords, um, user accounts and, and, and the like, um, or they have already gotten inside the company and somewhere have uh, inside the organization, maybe it was a server that wasn't rebooted after a domain administrator was there, um, and then managed to obtain credentials. So, so once they have those credentials, you know, it, it, it's, it's pretty, um, it's pretty, a bet, you know, all, <laughs> all bets are off. Um, they're leveraging uh, QBot, which is a fairly well-known tool that attackers will use to uh, move laterally or do additional reconnaissance. Uh, on top of that, they're also using PowerShell. Now, the use of PowerShell is a fairly common technique nowadays, um, increasingly more common. And this technique is kind of the living off the land technique, which is one of the reasons why, you know, and then this is kind of one of the points here is that an endpoint protection is generally not going to be enough. You're going to want something that can see a, an administrative tool like PowerShell and when it's used in a nefarious way. Then, of course, now, yeah, go ahead. Can I, can I pause Please you do. right yeah, there? Yeah. So I do have a question about the administrative privileges. Do we know exactly, like, why is that required? Is that just the way that their specific ransomware is set up so they can do specific targeting? And I'm asking that because we've seen uh, Maui ransomware out of North Korea, uh, and Maui kind of operates... Um, it doesn't require administrative privileges, but what they do is they put a sniffer on the network first and they'll, they'll scan through and find files and then deliberately target files. So I'm just curious sure. why this one only works with administrative privileges. Yeah. The, the execution of the, for example, PowerShell, right? Generally speaking, uh, any kind of executable, depending on what the executable, there are elements of those executables that will either prompt for, uh, you know, user access control or basically require some elevation of permission. Mm -hmm. um, that's, that's generally how it works. Um, then, you know, this, this is going to be increasingly um, more prevalent as well. And that is the use of, you know, office documents, whether they're Word documents or Excel uh, embedded macros and other types of program, you know, which is right. pretty common. Most administrators pretty clearly understand you want to disable scripting um you know a form of application control is the call out here um that is to say you don't want powershell running from from office documents and and that's one of the techniques that they're using okay uh, you know another another really interesting point about this particular attack and this attack group is is they're going after uh avs uh, particularly in this in this particular case it was going after Defender. So what they're doing is they're essentially using a um, uh, a policy object and they deploy that to remove or disable Defender and other AVs as well. Um, another scary point is they're deleting shadow copies uh, and Veeam backups and they're going, going after Hyper-V servers. So interesting points there. And we're as you're thinking about what kind of 
backup system you want. You know, cold storage is always going to be the best. Um, when you look at, there are some vendors who tout this capability that you can roll back even after a, in like a ransomware attack, right? Where the files get encrypted and then the, you know, some uh, vendors will tout the ability to roll back and recover those files from shadow copies. So unfortunately, that's a diminishing benefit for for those guys because the attackers are getting smarter and they're really now going after those shadow copies. Um, and wow. then, you know, last but not least, you know, they're leveraging another kind of living off the land technique where they're employing WMI services. Um, and then at the end of it, you know, you get a, your, your traditional text file displayed in a, in a notepad and it essentially instructs the user to go to a website and enter a customer ID, right? Right. Um, yeah. Here's here's your customer ticket exactly. you want. <laughs> now, which another interesting thing is that you know these guys are very helpful. There's actually technical support if you have it. Interesting. These these threat actors operate just like a regular business. So they you know they have regular hours. They have payroll paid on the first and the fifteenth. They got marketing. <laughs> they have technical support. So quite literally, they operate like a, a regular, um, a regular business. It's like the technical era of the mob come back. It's just, it's just really, a, it's it's amazing. Um, now, you know, at the end of this investigation, I th- I did this uh, across a Friday, Saturday, and a Sunday. Um, what kind of the the bottom line came down to is, you know, that. That EDR, or rather, that EPP is is uh, is not enough. If that's all you have in your toolbox, and you want to think about the the cyber kill chain, um, you know, the reconnaissance phase and the various phases across the the cyber kill chain. Um, with respect to the tools, you you want to have EDR. For example, an EDR solution is going to allow you to detect the reconnaissance activities, things like. Um, you know, when I say reconnaissance, you're thinking Nmap or the various commands that the command shell will allow you, whether it's PowerShell or command uh, running the net command or who am I or trying to, you know, running set and get those environment variables. Essentially compiling all that information and then putting it into a text file and sending it back to the command and control server or a staging server, right? FTP. Um, then... You know, EDR also allows you to detect that lateral movement, uh, and that's what you want to prevent. And the way you do that is when you have that detection based on these activities that really are being executed with day-to-day administrative operational tools, right? These are the, right. the whole living off the land technique. Well, we can piece that together and say, hey, this is an actual attack. And then isolate that host. And that's the critical key. Um, you know, that's really the, the, the payoff is that instead of having to remediate or go through and do a triage on, you know, 46 machines, you're doing triage on one or maybe two, right? And that's, that's, that's the benefit. That's the biggest benefit. Um, and then, of course, you know, when you're doing that triage, you have with an EDR solution such as ours, um, you know, you can use uh, response actions to perform forensics and do sort of investigative things like, for example, enumerate the scheduled tasks, right? That's one of the techniques that an attacker will use to 
accomplish persistence in the environment is they they programmatically create a task in the task scheduler so that when the user decides to reboot or the administrator reboots the machine, that command and control connection is reestablished upon rebooting right. that machine. So we could go through and, and look at those, those scheduled tasks, identify which ones are, are, are from the attacker, and remove those, all while the machine is either locked out or potentially disabled, um, whatever the case is, right? Uh, then, you know, if you think about EPP, you want to make sure that the endpoint protection that you're using is password protected. That is to say, I can't either programmatically go in there and change uh, or, or tamper with that endpoint protection. I want to make sure that my endpoint protection has the ability to uh, essentially force a password to be entered when you're trying to remove it. And that's, that's optional for us. You can either enable that or you can have it disabled. It really depends kind of on the use case. If somebody leaves the organization, you want to be able to remove it off that laptop and let them go away with their laptop. Um, then, you know, application control, I think, is a key piece of thwarting this particular kind of attack, um, specifically because this, these guys are, are leveraging PowerShell. So you want to make sure that you have control over what applications are being used in the organization. So that, that, that means, and you can selectively do that. Uh, then data guard, you know, data guard is really a with secure, um, you know, very specifically designed to, um, be, be a gatekeeper against any unauthorized applications that try to access specifically the user data folders, specifically for those right. folders. Yeah, I think people underestimate application control as well. Um, you know, we talk about zero trust architecture when you're setting up however your network is seg uh, segmented, uh, compartmentalized, mm -hmm. but there's a lot of employees who probably don't understand the, the true importance of application control. They'll want to run something on their device at work and they'll be like, well, this seems harmless. Why can't I add this? Or why can't I add this browser extension? And the reality is, is because there's so many things out there that get, you know, the, the more things that run, the more your uh, attack, uh, your attack landscape increases. And that just means that all it takes is one bad update. And now you've got a browser extension on Chrome that you didn't need at work uh, that now has a critical vulnerability that allows the something to be happening on your network, right? Yeah, 100%. 100%. And, and, you know, that's one of IT's greatest challenges is, is sort of educating the, the end users, right? And it's a lot of internal education, uh, teaching, you know, password hygiene, uh, a lot of this, you know, and, and unfortunately IT folks, you know, typically aren't afforded the resources to go do this kind of training. So it, it makes our job easier if we're enabled with these kinds of tools that, that give us the ability to, to do things like application control, you know, right. we don't have time to, to scrub our environment and search for all of the uh, security bulletins from all the different vendors that we might be using, right. right. To update this firmware or that BIOS or, you know, all of these different yeah, things. So, you know, even, and, and that's kind of a, a good segue to like, you know, making sure that you're doing vulnerability management, that you're scanning your environment, looking for those 
you know, vulnerabilities. There's always the zero day too, which is a little trickier to find, of course. But if, if at the very least you can go and identify the known vulnerabilities and, and address those in a quick and fast way, you know, you want, you have to have that vulnerability management tool in your toolbox. Um, right, absolutely, and and I think at the end of the day, that's that was really kind of the the takeaway from uh, from my research is that you know endpoint protection is is truly not enough uh, just nowadays because the attackers are doing a lot more living off the land technique. They're using the tools that are built in. It's kind of up to the IT folks to control access to those tools and then be alerted when they're when they're in use. You know, they could be. You know, <laughs> used by the good guys and by the bad guys. Right. Yeah. It's, there's definitely tools out there that are constantly being co-opted by the by the bad guys. Right. So that's that's never going to end. Well, that's um, that's it for my for my threat report. You know, and, and uh, it's it's unfortunate, but you know these these types of threats are becoming increasingly pre- pre- prevalent. So, um, you know, I think that's, that's the main takeaway is just to make sure that, uh, um, that the toolbox is complete, you know, and, and, uh, you know, one of our good partner defend edge is, is, uh, you know, one of those kinds of, uh, partners who are experts in this area. So, you know, I have to tip my hat to defend edge and the, and the great work that, uh, that you guys are doing. So, you know, I tip my, yeah, hat we certainly, guys. uh, well, we appreciate it. And we appreciate the, uh, the work that you guys do with us as our partners. Uh, real quick, can you go back to the, the stats that you're going to in the beginning? Um, just one more time for our listeners. In that case study you were looking at, uh, how, many, how many servers, how many devices were, yeah. were impacted and how, how, how soon or how quickly was it? Yeah, it was uh, 46 computers, 46 workstations and one server, 26 minutes. Yeah. And so for, for the listeners out there, um, we've talked in the podcast a few times about the exponentially increasing rate of encryption infection uh, for ransomware and just how, how much faster it's getting. And it has gone from encrypting a single uh, you know, set of files over uh, maybe a couple days to dropping down to multiple devices in hours. And now you see you know, this is a small company is what you're talking about yeah. in, in the scope of things in minutes. So, yeah. And, you know, maybe another last uh, late comment is a lot of the smaller companies just say, we're not a big target. And unfortunately, you know, those actually sometimes make easier targets because they're not afforded either the budget uh, for, for, for the kind of tools that are necessary or the IT staff that's not necessary. Um, Right. And, and, as a result, you know, they, they become easier targets, unfortunately. Yeah. And I think that's not, not to plug, you know, our company as an MSSP, but I think that's one of the benefits that small companies have in, in the current day and age is having an MSSP that has these resources, you know, back in the day, you'd have to go to, you know, your local store and you'd buy the software to put on a computer. Now you've got these you know, systems like with secure, which is just, you just download to the computer, you subscribe, everything is so much simpler to do. And then you've got a, a team that manages this for you. Um, it, you know, it, the companies that think that they don't have the budget for it, they definitely have to take that, that hard look again and consider what it would cost them. Uh, the unfortunate reality is, especially those smaller, small to mid-sized companies, if they get hit by ransomware, ransomware, especially, 
uh, or or anything else that completely destroys uh, their network files and infrastructure, there's no recovering. There's places that shut down from this. This year alone, I know of two different stories of uh, universities that are shutting down because they were they were wiped out and they have they didn't have a recovery plan they didn't have the infrastructure and security in place to to stop this kind of stuff so you know you you make me think about my time as an MSSP and I think about one of the value propositions that we pointed out is that um, you know like you guys the same 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 way is that you have areas of expertise and and one thing that is a challenge for smaller companies is you know, they, they, they don't have the budget to take somebody who's a threat hunter and also a Cisco certified type of a person, and then also a right. desktop person and, and a this and a that, and, and have all these areas of, um, of expertise, you know, you kind of, as a smaller company, they have a tendency to have more of the, you know, and I admit jack of all trades is not a great word, but, but somebody who has sort of the wider uh, scope of knowledge, whereas somebody, you know, bringing in somebody like yourselves as a partner, you have, you know, very the specific needs for whether it's a firewall expert or a desktop expert, you know, or somebody who understands how to do scripting to accomplish backups and, and kind of, a, yeah. you know, really a, and it's like the complete toolbox, you know, it's, it's really uh, having an MSP in your pocket is, uh, is an advantage as well. Yeah, absolutely. Tommy, any uh, final thoughts? No, I think we've covered uh, the, the main bullet points here today. And um, I mean, to, to the point of, you know, budgets and uh, breaches, you know, the, the cost of data breaches are going up year over year. The Ponemont Institute actually shares an annual um, cost of data breach report. And uh, the findings were that, again, we've seen 2.6% uh, rise in, in the average cost of a data breach. And that's now in the millions. 4.25 million is is the estimated cost, uh, average cost of a data breach. So obviously something to, to be cognizant of. And and again, we, we always do a uh, shout out to, to Defend Edge for, for helping there. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Tommy. Uh, yeah, Tim, anything else? No, I think I think that was it. Uh, good. I'm glad we had the opportunity to to share this uh, this threat report and uh, appreciate the time. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you both. All right. Our last segment for this week is a roundtable discussion. Uh, but if you or someone you know has some interesting cyber experience or expertise that they would like to share and they're interested in joining the show for our interview segment, uh, visit the Defend Edge website at www.defendedge.com and fill out our show request to join and talk to our listeners. For this week's interview segment, we held the roundtable, as I mentioned. Uh, we did this with the Defend Edge CEO, myself, and two of our directors. Let's take a listen. You can kind of, <laughs> kind of get. Wes is like getting warmed up here. Oh, so. I'm getting warmed up. <laughs> oh, I, I didn't yeah. know you just wanted me. Wes to like, like Wes is like ready to go. Um, no, so I think, um, I think I wanted to start this off, kind of just go around the room real quick. I'm pretty sure most people know who the people are in the room, and all of you have been on the podcast before. But uh, let's just kind of go around, uh, give a, a quick introduction again about who you are, what you do, and uh, what, what you've been up to since the last time uh, that you were on the show. So, Tasso, do you want to start us off? Sure. 
Yeah. So, um, fun to be here. Exciting. Um, it's always interesting to talk about cybersecurity and get some different perspectives out there. So I'm glad to be, uh, accompanied by Wes and Eric. Uh, but my name is Tasso Trantafilos. I'm founder and CEO of Defend Edge. And, um, I'm uh, excited once again to be here. Awesome. Awesome. And Wes, what about you? Hey, for those that might be, uh, reintroducing myself for the first time and for those new people, my name is Wes Lubin. I am the SOC operations lead here at Defend Edge. So I look forward to having this nice little roundtable discussion. Excellent. And certainly uh, not not the least, but our last introduction, Eric. Hi, I'm Eric Bernson, Director of Engineering with uh, Endpoint Protection and uh, also Dabble in Vulnerability Management and something that uh, we've been doing uh, and that we'll be working with you actually, Calvin, is uh, making sure that we get these uh, the end of the quarter vulnerability management and uh, vulnerability scans up and running for the uh, new quarter that's coming up. Here, Absolutely. Uh, and I know uh, some of my new team members are very excited to uh, jump in on that. So, yeah. Um, yeah. So we want to have a little bit of a roundtable today. Uh, we've had each of you on the show individually, although, Wes, you were on the show with uh, with Aaron uh, as, a, as a joint interview. But we want to do a roundtable today and just kind of talk about some uh, various topics. Um, so I'll just jump right into it. Uh, let's let's talk about what you guys are seeing as major events uh, that are trending in cybersecurity. Uh, and and feel free to take the low hanging fruit of of Russia Ukraine if there's something there. But what what's some of the big stuff that you guys see going on? I'm starting to see more attacks. Uh, there's more and more attacks uh, happening. Uh, just recently, I I saw just uh, on the news how Uber seems to be a little upset, uh, as well as a uh, Rockstar, uh, the yeah the yeah, subsidiary of Take Two Interactive. It looks like the a 17-year-old kid probably of London was probably involved with lapses, you know, may have something that <laughs> may have something to do with, you know, them uh, breaching a giant, you know, uh, video game company like Rockstar and uh, allowing a lot of footage for a game that you know has yet to be released here to come out. So, you know, there's, there's pretty, there's some companies that's really, really upset. And, and I'm sure Take-Two Interactive is definitely one of them. So a lot of the actors are becoming more brazen. You know, maybe they just feel like, hey, I haven't got caught yet. You know, let me go and see if I could up the ante. <laughs> you know, and, and, and they're going for it. Yeah, they're going after not low-hanging fruit. They're going after, like, bigger, big, you know, bigger fish out there, you know, to see what they can get away with. So uh, you're starting to see that these attacks are starting to become more and more rapid. They go off for larger organizations. So it's 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 not unprecedented, but not something that we would be expecting. You know, that would be happening, you know, more, you know, uh, continuously. And at the, you know, amount of attacks per day that's occurring. Right. So that's what now, I'm correct saying. Correct me if I'm wrong, you mentioned you mentioned the Uber attack. Um, if I'm remembering correctly, what was um revealed about that one was it was the result of an employee that blindly accepted an MFA uh, prompt, like, because he just wanted the uh, the notification to stop. Is that what you guys had heard, too? Yeah, and that's exactly what I've heard. 
<laughs> yeah. And I saw somebody uh, posted on LinkedIn that I, I won't name the individual, but they're a cybersecurity individual. And they were like, oh, this just shows that uh, two-factor uh, authentication is, is, you know, old and, and done. I was like, no, that's absolutely not what that means. So what close that means to working. It's clearly working because the attacker couldn't get in yeah. uh, until the employee was like, I'm tired of these notifications. I'm just going to hit accept. So teach your employees not to just hit accept because they're annoyed. <laughs> no. Yeah. And, and I think Wes, I mean, Wes points out that there's a lot more data breaches or at least cyber attacks happening globally, but there's espionage, there's uh, political states, I mean, uh, nation state sponsored attacks, uh, political campaigns. There's, there's a whole slew of things that are happening today globally um, that have probably um, increase cyber attacks and, and cause more damage, um, to current, you know, company operations and, 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 and how companies are operating or thinking about how they deploy technology and how they support the technology and how they operate uh, globally in a new, new economic landscape. So it's, it is sort of interesting to see things, how they unfold, but more importantly, um, we're seeing a lot more, um, legal measures taking place where companies yeah. are now finally being held accountable for enacting or uh, being negligent of not responding or not addressing uh, vulnerabilities uh, or their data protection with their consumers or customers or patient data. Um, so there's a lot more action uh, from a legal and compliance, as Eric just mentioned, uh, perspective that's uh, taking center stage these days. So it's, it's good and bad. Yeah, isn't it something um, crazy? Like two or two or three times the amount of cyber attacks are coming in after uh, COVID, or yep. after the start of COVID. Yep. Yeah. Uh, so I mean, frequency on everything from phishing, you know, email alerts, things like that. Everything has gone up, um, especially like scams. Oh yeah. Uh, I should not. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> and to what Tasa was just saying, as far as uh, companies being held liable, I think um, cyber insurance is exploding right now. Not just it's the time of year force where you know the budgets are coming up and so everybody's reviewing that, so they're they're making sure that they've got their money for their insurance. But you know how I know this is trending is for about a month now on LinkedIn. Every other article about cyber had to do with cyber insurance. So I, I went from seeing my normal cyber stuff to, oh, it's insurance season and everybody's taking insurance really seriously right now. So. <laughs> I'm getting multiple calls every day by C-level executives talking about their insurance policies. Yeah. They're yeah. always asking questions. What are we doing around this? What, we sh what should we be doing around addressing this question? So it is, it is uh, top of mind for a lot of people, especially right now. I'm, assu yeah. I'm assuming that they're happy that, uh, that they're coming up on their renewals, right, Tasso? Mm. <laughs> they're not happy about it, but, but <laughs> no, nobody's happy about having to pay for pay for any services to meet insurance needs. But it's uh, it's an unfortunate reality, uh, and I mean I've said it on the show before. People just don't realize that they could very well be the next victim. You know, they yeah. have, they have no idea. Um, there's going to be a segment on this week's uh, podcast. We did an interview with with Secure talking about Black Basta, and uh, there was a there was a question for about about two month period about you know what happened to Conti Ransomware Group. You know where they go, what are they doing? There was all these expert analysis on it, and um, we had kind of thought to ourselves, well, yeah, you know what's going to happen is there's going to be some splinter groups. 
Uh, and our only question remains is, you know, are they going to kind of work together still or are they just going to operate independently? And uh, boom, lo and behold, there's Black Basta and there's a couple other groups that are using Conti's tips of the trade. So we went from one group that would target, you know, one or two organizations, you know, in, in their little, you know, you know, they've got a little operational tempo to now multiple groups doing it simultaneously. So they actually just multiplied with the fracture of Conti. Uh, and then, you know, we've, we've yeah. had some other briefs, Tasso, you remember a couple of weeks ago, we were talking about the, uh, different services that are being sold, uh, you know, C2 platforms for DDoS, et cetera. So it's making it so that you can now have a mom and pop organization that's doing cyber crime. It's, it's definitely not just the state sponsored actors. So yeah, it's, it's everywhere. Huh. It's employing a new workforce. Yeah. Yeah. It really is its own. It's its own workforce. So, yeah. And so, okay. So with that, so let's talk about um, some challenges to the uh, MSSP sector. And some of that could be meeting uh, client needs for for insurance and what their concerns are. So what are we seeing as challenges to to our business sector right now? What I see uh, definitely as a challenge is you want to, there's a conflict of uh you want to have the client's environment secure, but at the same time, you can't have it too secure that it impacts their business. Right. You know? Um, so it's kind of like a double-edged sword, you know, and you have to find uh, a little niche to get them right where they need to be. So enough that, hey, they are secure, but at the same time, they're not the lowest hanging fruit. You know, well, as, it's a balance. Yeah. Us. I mean, we, we were creating a balance at the end of the day. We're not becoming the obstructionist or uh, impeding people's ability to do their jobs, right? So, Absolutely. Uh, we're trying to obviously implement the best practice mm-hmm. and all security measures, all technologies that we're deploying or supporting for our clients. But at the same time, um, <clears throat> while we're doing that, we're thinking about, okay, well, how will this impact people from producing, right? Mm-hmm. Will impact their jobs. So it's it's sort of uh, a scale that you got to balance it each time that you you go back to implementing or turning something on. Absolutely, absolutely. And again, you know, every client is different, so there's a methodical approach for every client on how you go and uh, you know tackle each situation. You know, so what may work with one doesn't necessarily mean it's going to work with every single client. So it's all like Tesla said, it is that fine balance of being able to make sure that you do enough to make sure that they're safe, but doesn't impede their day-to-day operations. Right. Eric, what about you? Any specific challenges to the MSSP sector? Uh, Maybe as it concerns vulnerability management uh, and some of the uh, evolving threats, ransomware comes to mind as a really big one because we've gone from, you know, the original type of ransomware where it could take hours to days to encrypt to now uh, you you have no warning to before your files are encrypted yeah. it takes you know minutes exactly no and that's what i was going to say when you were asking about like major events you see trending in cybersecurity and ransomware is going to be one that's always going to be kind of on that list uh because it, it is so so evasive um but yeah definitely vulnerability management is is a thing that uh you know most most clients uh you know should be should be focusing on or potential uh, clients should be focusing on vulnerability management, making sure that um, they're aware of any vulnerabilities that they do have. They're working on remediating them or working on 
other ways to secure those environments um, if it's something that they can't change or, you know, working on um, gathering enough, you know, capital to be able to replace, uh, you know, what they need to replace, things like that. Um, so main, maintaining uh, and staying on top of uh, software and patch management and vulnerability management. Uh, right. Yeah, which is, you know, cybersecurity is always evolving. Uh, there's always so many different applications and softwares to do, um, you know, pretty much anything. So we're, we always got to be uh, on the forefront of the technology, too, which is, uh, you know, not necessarily uh, a challenge, but it's it's something that we'll, we'll always be learning in this industry, no matter, uh, you know, how long we're in it. Right. So, so what, what thoughts do you have? I think it's, you know, I think about the issues that <clears throat> smaller companies have today and um, it's an evolution in maturity, right? So when you're looking at small companies, mid-market companies or enterprise companies, they all have different issues and it's part of the maturity model where smaller companies are thinking about how do we protect the perimeter um, and protect our end users from, from becoming targets, where mid-market companies are, yeah, we're protecting the perimeter today. We've we've deployed next-generation firewalls, or we, we've implemented some sort of email security system in place. Um, how do we continue to evolve that and continue to protect the business as we grow the next level of maturity model? Um, and as where enterprise companies start thinking about what else can, should we be doing as a large enterprise organization or a leader in this space? Because if we get breached... Um, it's going to be, uh, you know, nationwide news, right? It's going to be on the headlines of some some tabloid or some some website, right? Uh, and it will be noticed. Uh, smaller mid market companies have a tendency of being able to slip through and then go unnoticed, where enterprise companies are are more headline news than anything else. So, um, yeah. So, so you got to think about where are you at. Um, in the maturity stage for cybersecurity best practices. Yeah, so how how is that presenting challenges to MSSPs? Maybe not just Defend Edge, but just in general for MSSPs uh, across the country. Um, what kind of challenges is this presenting to try to meet these different, um, I guess, scalable needs uh, from the mom and pop up to enterprise level organizations? Well, a lot of a lot of companies out there are very good at at solving the small business critical issues that they're dealing with, right? Mm -hmm. Deploying a next generation firewall or getting them secure, um, but they don't quite understand how other technologies work or function or enhance or provide some sort of assistance um, in getting them over the next level in the maturity model. But my point is that uh, deception technology for us is huge, right? How do we throw? How do we build out a honeypot and make sure that we throw that out there uh, and protect our clients? Mm -hmm. So that's sort of the thinking that you need, right? Mindset. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. All right, Eric. Did you have anything else? Say the the difficulty is uh, remaining proactive and always being proactive because again the the landscape is always changing. So. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Adapt. Whatever. But whatever you're already good at, you just kind of have to assume that tomorrow somebody's going to exploit that. So what can I change now to, to be even better tomorrow? It's just just the name of the game, right? It's like athletes. You just train to get yeah. better every time. And Calvin, to your earlier question, I mean, it's it really matters. I mean, uh, a lot of companies are good at what they do, and they yeah. really help solve the vertical within 
um, small businesses or financial services or healthcare, where other more mature managed security providers can help with mid-market or enterprise clients uh, because they, they are more aware, familiar with advanced technologies. Right. Well, so this ties into another question that I, I had for the group, which is, you know, you know, how, how's, how's the business for Defend Edge, you know, generally, and what, what are our clients asking for um, that, that's different now than it was, you know, say a year ago? You know, what, what's changed, what the clients, what their needs are? Well, guess what, 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 guess what, what are you seeing? <laughs> what I was seeing is that uh, there's a high demand and that there's a quick response uh, in customer service. <laughs> That's for starters. Uh, they expect uh, that whatever their problem may be, uh, it is taken care of immediately. You know, in a, in a perfect world, that could be the case. But again, you know, we don't want to do, we don't want to just provide this quick service. We want to go and take the most methodical, best approach that will allow them to not impact their day-to-day operations, but yet keep them secure. And sometimes uh, companies that may not be security aware don't quite understand that. And uh, uh, it boils down to a matter of, you know, it's not necessarily convenient. You don't know what you don't know. So they don't understand the concept of security. Why would they actually know that we're doing the best that we can to make sure that their best interest is our best interest? You know, so that is one of the things that I'm noticing uh, on the front end, you know, dealing with a lot of clients is that they definitely want that rapid response. And so we have to provide that level of customer service to them to let them know that we are diligently working on the solution, but we have to make sure that we're not taking forever to come up with a you know solution. If we can, you know, at least we have workarounds that we can do that would still provide them, you know, safety for their environment, but come to a more permanent solution that probably won't just benefit them, but could also help benefit all the clients as well too. So that is one thing that I've definitely um, have noticed. Yeah, so Wes, you said the <clears throat> responsiveness and uh, I was in a meeting with you maybe through what, three weeks or maybe even a month ago now uh, where a, uh, an onboarding client was talking about their, their prior MSSP and we, we won't name names, of course, but, um, you know, they said, you know, this is a fairly large MSSP and um, their response time was really poor. And they said that, uh, and that was like, that was their primary issue. We said, what, why would you leave your current MSSP? You know, what are your needs from us? And they said, well, for one responsiveness. If there's an issue, we we want a response with, you know, one within the agreed SLA time. But, you know, if you can do your best to even exceed that, you know, that's obviously, you know, icing on the cake, right? And then their follow-up to that was talking about the, um, not just the the blanket responsiveness, but the ability to understand and meet what the client is asking for. And their example was audits. They needed specific type of log information for audits and compliance and um, they weren't getting that. Instead, what they were getting was like some cookie cutter, um, here's a, a weekly printout of some stuff. And they're like, well, that's not what we asked for. You know, we keep having to ask for you to, you know, adjust this. So I think that flexibility and not getting lost in we're a business and we just, you know, you know, the binary output, you know, you get a one or a zero. It's like, no, clients are people and they have specific needs. So we got to be able to meet that. Uh, so I think that's probably a challenge for us. Is it not? Absolutely. But I mean, one good thing is that we got a good CEO who always tells us that, you know, you can't uh, 
to spew numbers. <laughs> Metrics. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, as much as I like to say that, you know, what are you talking about? He's right. <laughs> you can't you can't refute numbers. You know, numbers do not lie. You know, and what this other you know company was asking for, they wasn't asking for much. They were asking for metrics, you know, to 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 gauge exactly you know the before and after Wes, what's going on. That's defendable data. It, absolutely, it, it's your best friend in an argument. <laughs> can't dispute defendable data, can you? You know, and what's and what's sad is that you know a larger MSP, MSSP organization, you would think that would understand the fundamentals of how important metrics are, you know, to be able to keep a client and yet was unable to meet the minimum of that, you know, to lose a client because of that, you know? So, I mean, I'm glad that we, you know, make sure that if our clients, you know, we provide the metrics anyway, but you know, if they wanted any other metrics, we don't have an issue with that. We feel like all MSSPs should be providing some form of defendable data to their client to show exactly the level of service that's being offered to them. Right. You know, so. And I think in the other, the other factor here to think about is, is, you know, where are we at today from a uh, global economic state, right? How is that impacting companies and how they operate, how they compete in their industries and what they think that uh, as far as the prioritization of, of the IT budget for them or the cybersecurity budget, so that is also causing some challenges around some discussions, but um, it's good to see that a lot of the CTOs and CIOs out there that we work with um, understand that cyber is critical and it's part of the business and it should be part of the business and how they operate. So that's, that's very important. <clears throat> I wanted to discuss something I, I, I've seen as well, which is an increase of... Um, Endpoint detection and response. So there, there's been uh, quite an increase um, of, you know, either clients saying, "Hey, we need to meet this compliance. Uh, do you have something like this?" Which, you know, is is EDR, or just saying, "Hey, you know, what else do you have? We need you know, some additional security or or what have you." And uh, we have been seeing an increase of uh, uh, clients asking for EDR either for compliance or increased security. Right. Good. I'm glad that that's, that's catching on. Um, I was in a meeting a couple of weeks ago. We were talking um, with some consultants who were discussing their clients that they range everything, you know, back to the whole idea of mom and pop type stuff. And uh, Tasha, to your point about, you know, somebody might, they might be savvy enough to finally put the next generation firewall out there, uh, but they still don't realize that there's still other components and whether that's you know, keeping it updated or, you know, to Eric's point, the endpoint detection response. And that goes back to what I was saying about the ransomware is with a lot of the modern ransomware, you're, you have to catch it on the, on the, on the actual attack, whatever the entry vector is, um, you have to understand your attack surface. You have to mitigate it. You have to catch whatever the dropper is before it gets on the network. Cause it's once it's on the network, it's either, so well concealed on your device or it moves so fast that your weekly antivirus scan is not going to pick up on it. You have to have these real-time systems that are using machine learning and AI to pick up on anomalies. Absolutely. And that, that goes to uh, one of our, our biggest cases where uh, you wake up on 
uh, Friday and you see 800 alerts for uh, attempted <laughs> ransomware. Um, but luckily all mitigated. But, you know, how, how they got on those was uh, for deeper deeper dive and uh, some uh, instant response and things like that. But, yeah, right. I mean, it goes straight straight to that point. Absolutely. Absolutely. And to add to that, you know, I think we even had one client that was asking them, you know, would there be what would be the purpose of having a, you know, a endpoint protection software if you have a firewall that protects the network? And as I like to explain to them is that a firewall can be misconfigured. You know, however, your whole space intrusion prevention system or your endpoint protection software, sure, last line and first line of defense. You know, in the event that something actually somehow did get past the firewall, you at least have something on your actual device that will protect that device. You know, same thing if someone's trying to perform, you know, do anything illegal or send out some malware from that device out. You know, it's your first line of defense. It's on that device, you know, to prevent it from going out into your network and then out into the Internet. So I think that's very, very important. And not many people understand exactly why is it that you need to have both, you know? Hey, Wes, I, I'm going to ask a question. It's about eight, eight out of ten times that a firewall is misconfigured, isn't it? Mm-hmm. We, we bring on a new client. Yeah. That is a, that is a fact. They, you know, most clients out there, Galvin, and think that because they have a firewall and they can just unbox it and rack it and power it up and turn it on, they're fully protected, but there's so much that goes into it. Um, to even what Eric just talked about is, you know, continuous scanning and making sure that things are configured properly and, and monitoring for the zero days or the vulnerabilities that you're exposing yourself with. Um, things are not, you know, configured out of the box. You, you gotta, right. You gotta <laughs> implement them properly. You gotta deploy them properly. You gotta, you gotta assess and understand what is it that you're putting out there. Uh, so you're not impacting other people to do their job, right? But mm-hmm. um, you're getting the maximum value for what you're actually deploying out there. Right. And, and I would add to the configuration piece for our listeners, we're not just uh, talking about somebody just did a bad job with the configuration <laughs> or didn't do enough. There's more to it than that. On any given day, you yeah. know, yeah, it has to be continuous. There has to be continuous fine tuning. Mm-hmm. An, an example that we always give people is you can have a massive roster of IP addresses that the bad guys use, right? But IP addresses, they're totally fungible. And a threat actor can just discard the IP addresses and move on and get new IPs from another another vendor somewhere. So what was associated with, you know, Black Bass to yesterday is no longer associated with them today. So as as a very simple example, if your firewall is definition-based looking for, you know, the bad IPs, well, now that they've changed, today it might be different, right? So having those two layers of security that, that do two different things is how you, you know, it's the best of both worlds. It's how you catch the most stuff. Um, I, I always hear the argument of it's bad to say that a breach is inevitable. Uh, what I like to say, uh, or the way I like to look at it rather is, yes, a breach is most likely inevitable. But what happens when they breach the network? Do you then have the correct response team behind that that can identify the attack in progress? You've been breached, but what happens now? Do you have your network configured so that they can't move laterally? Do you have that endpoint detection response so that it locks down and stops the ransomware from doing something, right? So somebody can always get into the network eventually. Do you have the right measures in place to stop the damage once they start? Isolation. 
Yep. Yeah, absolutely. The isolation. It's a war of attrition is the way I like to see it. And I tell the guys, like, we're at war with the bad guys, you know? And what we want they're to do just, is- They're just as good, but we got to be better. Absolutely. Right. That is absolutely the case. What are we willing to do to make it harder for them? You know, they want so badly in here, then we throw everything that we have, all the resources that we have to make. Because, I mean, at this point, it's a matter of who's willing to go above and beyond, you know, again- any effort requires resources, right? You know, you put enough layers in defense, you know, uh, up against anybody. If they don't have the resources, they're going to probably give up. And that's what we want. We want them to know that we're not willing to stop what we have to do to protect our client's environment. And that it's probably better off for them to go find someone else that has the lower hanging fruit because it's not here at the Fintage. Right. Isn't it it's the same, same story or is Superman versus Bizarro? Who wins in that fight? Superman, right? Right, the good guy. <laughs> the good guy. <laughs> He's not willing to give up, right? <laughs> That's right. Amazing. So, so speaking of the war of attrition, um, shifting gears, I, it's been noticeably quiet on the Russian-Ukraine front uh, for cyber. But now I'm curious if it's going to tick up again, uh, specifically because Russia is about out of ground resources and uh, Ukraine is now uh, getting a little starved on ammo, too. I think they've fired off all their HIMARS rockets. So uh, do do they start taking clubs to each other? Do we go back to, like, the potatoes being thrown in World War One, Or do they just kind of stand back for, like, the next month and start trying some cyber stuff? You know, or does Putin just start, you know, playing with the big guns like he was alluding to? What do you, what do you guys think? I don't think anybody's going to be playing with any big guns. I think, <laughs> no. I think it's, it's going to come down to, hey, let's broker some sort of peace treaty here. Uh, because we exhausted our resources, and and it's best in our best interest to to put an end to this. So, I'm the optimistic guy, right? For me, it's always the glass is always half full. So I'm hoping some some sort of peaceful resolution here, pretty quick. Are North North oh, yeah, Korea sure. and China are meeting soon, though, aren't they? Yeah, you know why they're meeting? It's so that China can tell North Korea that they hacked the <laughs> that they hacked the hell out of Russia and it turned out that Russia didn't have much to hack. There wasn't anything good there. So they're, they're unfortunately telling North Korea, there wasn't much there. <laughs> I saw, I saw just, on, uh, I was looking through, you know, recent reports that came out and saw that, you know, Ukraine arrests a cyber crime group for selling data of 30 million accounts. You know, I, I guess they were operating off the city of Lviv, LVIV, if I'm saying that correctly. And they were acting on the behalf of the Russian interest, you know. So these guys are selling the uh, these data to like the, the oligarchs, you know, pro Kremlin, you know, uh, pro 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 Kremlin. Kremlin. Yeah, and not not the ones that have been mysteriously dying one after the other <laughs> during the course of the war. <laughs> yeah, it, they they were doing this in some sort of that. I guess the whole goal was like behind some large scale destabilization in multiple countries. You know, and they were starting to, you know, add the hacked accounts and used to, you know, propagate false information uh, about the socio-political situation, you know, between Ukraine and the EU. So as you can see, they, they're cracking down really heavy on that now. You know, so I was like really shocked to hear that a lot of like law enforcement is getting involved in these cyber crimes and starting to really crack down on these, you know, these groups, you know, that's involved in these sort of things. So it's interesting yeah. to see where this goes from here. Well, it kind of petered out, but there was uh, about a month or so uh, during 
well, what, three months ago now, there was like a month-long stint where there was just all kinds of actors acting on behalf, uh, specifically of Russia, and they were trying to DDoS all these different European countries. Uh, that kind of kind of petered out because it wasn't super effective. But it, I mean, you know, to what we were talking about earlier in the beginning, like just everybody's just jumping on board with a lot of this stuff. It's becoming its own business. See, yeah. this is an example of uh, Russia be, being uh, becoming bizarro. You know, <laughs> and everyone and everyone else is super mad. So, <laughs> and uh, I'm sure Russia doesn't like being alone, but at this, they're the odd man out at this point. You know, I think that you know, at some point, waving the white flag is probably the most beneficial thing that they can do. You know, at this moment, right? No one's gonna wave white flag. Makes some. Well, makes too much well sense, we need we it? need some sort of some sort of mutual peaceful resolution. From both fronts. Absolutely. Absolutely. I got my fingers crossed, guys. I'm hoping that's what we get to. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. But, yeah. but to, I mean, obviously, Calvin, what you were talking about, the, the rise in cyber attacks. Um, remember, only only 65% of the planet actually has internet access. When the other 35% of the planet starts getting internet access, thanks to, thanks to Elon Musk and Starlink, <laughs> um, you can, you can bet there will be a rise in cyber attacks. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And targeted advertisements. <laughs> That's, right. That's what they're going yeah, for. And I think, um, I think what'll be interesting to see, uh, this thought just occurred to me is if we see an uptick in cyber crime coming out of Ukraine and maybe even coming out of Russia, uh, non-state sponsors. So just individuals, uh, you know, with, with war-torn countries, people losing jobs, you know, a lot of industry destroyed. Um, if they turn to that, since, you know, to your point about Elon turning Starlink on internet came back on Ukraine now, if they're left without jobs, but, uh, you know, they've got internet, you know, maybe we'll see something similar to COVID where people were stuck home without jobs, but they've got a computer and internet, you know, you don't want to see it, but that's the reality is people are people and they do that, you know. Okay. So we're talking about returning back to the normal state or at before the war. I mean, yeah, Ukraine yeah, was you're behind right. a lot of you're the right. as well. Cor correct. You're right. Yeah. <laughs> so just more, more of the same now because <laughs> yeah. they won't have, they won't have day jobs. That's right. <laughs> the, the 14 year old sitting at a cafe will be able to hack a, a small dental office here in the States or medical office. And then they're going to wish that they had an MSSP with EDR and they had updated their <laughs> audits for, for security compliance. There it is. We've just, we just wrapped it all up. We've surprised the episode. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> <laughs> just that quick folks <laughs> that's that's how you that's how you have to do a tie-in just like that so <laughs> um, all right yeah well let's uh let's wrap this up we'll do uh some closing thoughts we'll start with eric any any thoughts uh, on anything anything cyber clients anything oh i mean i know there's there's so much more for us that we could talk about uh we'll, we'll probably save it for uh another episode though so i, I think i'm all we right. do a whole episode of just a round table i guess <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> No, I'm all right. Thanks. Wes? Uh, what I just want to say is that, you know, as these attacks continue to evolve, we just have to evolve along with those uh, with those attacks as well. But I think the main part is just getting our clients to understand that, you know, we don't just configure their environment and then it's set and then it's just good to go. You know, every day is something different and every day. We're constantly trying to figure out ways to be able to make sure that we keep that balance, you know, to ensure that they can still do what we need to do. But we are also evolving as well. 
with these newer types of attacks. Bad guys are getting smarter. They're, they're not getting dumber. They're trying to find very nifty ways to get around. And it's going to be our job to make sure that we keep up with them. So I look forward to that. And you know, you know how we do that, Wes, other than your ever responsive sock who is there 24 seven answering client needs. We also have this uh, amazing cyber threat intelligence team uh, hosted by one of the employees who may or may not be on this uh, podcast right now, who helps meet those client needs as well. So we, we've got your back. <laughs> Absolutely. They should definitely take a chance to go and find out the kind of service that's being offered. You know, that would help mitigate a lot of that. Yeah, there it is. Tasso, any uh, final thoughts, closing thoughts? You know, I think Wes and I have been spending a lot of time on the phone lately and uh, with a lot of our different clients out there. And I think the one constant that I'll keep keep on here is um, clients asking for us to either compromise or um, sacrifice some best practices to make it easier on the business. And I think we have to hold our ground. I think we it's our responsibility to make sure that they're aware of what they're asking us to do. And in some cases, we've got to push back and say, hey, what you're asking us is to um, put you at risk, right? Increase your risk levels. What is your risk appetite? Um, so we've got to ask those questions, and we've got to make sure that they're aware of all the facts before they make those decisions. So educating people and making sure we're having very clear and transparent conversations with those decision makers is going to be critical as we move forward. Got it. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent points. All right, everybody. I really appreciate the three of you coming on and hopefully uh, the listeners get something good out of it. So hope you guys have a good day. Absolutely. Thanks, gentlemen. Thank you. Bye. That concludes this episode. Thank you all for tuning in and I will see you next time. I'm Calvin Bryant and this has been Defending the Edge. If you enjoyed the show, be sure to like, subscribe, share with friends and coworkers, and leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you are tuning in from. DefendEdge is your partner in cybersecurity, providing 24-7 cybersecurity monitoring and enhanced proactive threat hunting. We provide security management, advisory services, penetration testing, and more to help you defend the edge of your cyber domain. Find out more at www.defendedge.com. The Defending the Edge podcast is produced and edited by Calvin Bryant, reporting by the Defend Edge Cyber Threat Intelligence Team. Defending the Edge is a Defend Edge production. Copyright Defend Edge 2022.